This episode of Make Your Pitch is brought to you by BET. BET is a digital advisor in key areas of your business, such as financial management, leadership, developing your strategies, understanding your customer, and understanding risk management, but most of all, understanding yourself as the entrepreneur. So if you would like an in-depth platform that shows you in-depth about your business and your business success, go to BET in the show notes of this episode. This is Make Your Pitch. I'm Christopher Knight. And I am Ellen J. Harris. Together, we chat with entrepreneurs with great ideas, looking for investors to back their vision. We want to be sure investors are there as well as to find the next big hit. So let's get started. And I want to welcome everybody to the Make Your Pitch podcast for this episode. We have, uh, as you know, always try to bring you the, the folks who are getting their businesses started, moving ahead with the areas that they are involved in and are trying to get funds in order to move forward. Now, that being said, we also bring you experts that are going to help you understand how best to grow or how to best start up your business, not only safely, but uh, actually with some funds in your pocket. And today certainly is no exception. I'm Christopher Knight. And I am Ellen J. Harris. And, and welcome. And we are here today to bring you a very, very special guest that you're about to learn a lot from and a lot about. We're going to welcome Ms. Ovita Hancock. She is a, an attorney a, in Washington, D.C., high-powered. She's been in the business for a good many years, and she is expert in her field. And it's my privilege to introduce her to you and welcome, Ms. V., Thank you. We are very glad to have you because it is, this is an area that we have, uh, I don't know how often we'll be able to touch on this because I don't know if we'll find somebody as experienced in this area as you. So we'll have to be careful who else we might bring on. But that being said, you have many years experience in the area of not only working with corporations in the area of uh, helping them move forward, but in working with individuals who, as you say, almost anyone could get a grant if they have the right credentials and the right guidance, which comes from you. So, you know what? I'd like to just start by asking you a little bit about how in the world you got into this business, which is so very, very challenging. Well, I started, I started out as a an attorney, an intellectual property protection attorney, working for um, major law firms, global law firms in Washington, D.C. Um, I actually got started early, so I've been able to achieve a lot. I went to college, Georgetown University, at age 14. And by the time I was 19 and a half, uh, using some very interesting programs. Um, I was able to graduate at 19 and a half 
with three degrees, a BA, an MBA, and a Juris Doctor. Um, I, when I came out, uh, I was 19 and a half, and I had to wait until I turned 21, a year and a half, um, before I could um, take the bar exam. I passed the bar. I went to work for a number of firms. Uh, starting off uh, in the first firm, I began to cut my eye teeth and figure out that um, I like uh, intellectual property better than I like casualty cases. Slip and fall, uh, we handle all big or small do call. And so with that, um, I worked for an organization during that year and a half by the name of the Bureau of National Affairs. Uh, they were located at that time in Washington, D.C. Um, I had an opportunity to work with uh, their CEO now, but we started off together the same day, uh, Paul Wojcik. And um, I did Law Week, uh, Patent Trademark, Copyright Journal, and many others. And I had an opportunity to review cases from all 50 states, Puerto Rico and Guam at that time. And it was amazing. I learned so much. I got sent to the Supreme Court, etc. So I decided that what I really wanted to pursue was being able to practice dealing with major corporations. I've been blessed uh, to have worked with 50 of the world's largest corporations. And in doing so, that's how I ran across what I really wanted to focus my life on, which is building small business. As I began to work with the corporations, I saw a line item that really didn't make sense to me. Uh, I saw billions of dollars coming in, not from service, uh, not from sales, but it was just something that was there. I inquired, didn't get the answers I was seeking. And so I sent out some of the firm's um, private investigators to find out where was this money come from, coming from. In a deposition, uh, you're asked about your finances. They want to make sure that what they're suing for, you actually have or have access. And so what I did was I found out where the money was coming from. It's coming from the federal government in order to build this country's um, intellectual property, but also to build businesses, solo uh, operations, entrepreneurs, um, LLCs, Inc., women-owned small business, disabled veterans, small business, disadvantaged uh, folks who were seeking small business, uh, Native Americans. And I found out that there is a certain percentage of business that is supposed to go to uh, these groups. And I inquired of people, and they would say, well, I have an MBA. I've never heard of it. I said, I have one, too. I never heard of it either. But it is called supplier diversity, that these organizations are given money to help build supplier diversity meaning letting in um, those who uh, don't really have a, le a level playing field and need a step up. And so I began to look at, I first started out with predominantly women, including those that were on welfare. Uh, this was during the, the latter part of the Clinton administration. And these women were coming out and they had no clue as to what to do. Some were trying to find jobs. I even hired one myself. 
and they had self-esteem issues, if you can believe that. These issues sort of overcame their successes. Some of them didn't feel worthy to be in a big office with people who were making millions, billions, whatever, um, tens of thousands of dollars, and they felt unworthy. My administrative assistant, when somebody famous would come into the office, she would leave and go to the powder room because she's like, I can't be around those kinds of people. I don't know what to say. So in investigating, I began discussing with them, what is your talent? What is it that you would do even if you weren't paid? I found hair braiders, beauticians, makeup artists. I found also caterers, uh, all sorts of individuals who had ideas, but they had no way to make those ideas come true. So I began looking for funding. Um, I had heard about grants. I began looking at the federal government. As I continued to read, I found out about state, local, and municipal government, universities who were willing to give their training, training programs for those that were going to be involved in food handling, on and on. I sought out every type of organization I could for training. I found out who's going to need licensing and how much money they were going to need. Um, also, I found out about, as I said, supplier diversity. This is where you go to major corporations and you seek help from them by going through what is called a supplier diversity manager. And it became more and more successful. I actually helped build a dot com in Arlington, Virginia, which later moved to Alexandria, dealing with intellectual property protection on the internet. Uh, it was an amazing ride. It was an incredible amount of money that was available for new ideas, new innovations, innovative ways to do things. And that's how I began to craft my program to involve men. Believe it or not, there are men who are raising their children and they need help too. Um, and so this is how I crafted my program. Now it has exploded and expanded. There is literally grant money from everything from before birth to after death. There are grants given even to funeral homes and cemeteries. And so educational grants, scholarships, biomedical, no field is untouched. And so I searched for those things, my staff and I, in order to bring these opportunities. And when necessary, we write the grants. I've written over 2,600 grants. And I've been 89% successful. And for those who maybe uh, don't pass the grade for an initial grant, uh, when we get started, I look for seed money. I look for other ways to fund them. And then usually we come back and we find a grant. We find out what the issues were in terms of the uh, proposal. Uh, many of my clients want to write their own or they want to hire their own grant writer. Um, when we operate, my team and I, we are highly successful. We keep notes, we keep information on program officers and uh, COTARs and all of that. So we know sometimes basically what they're thinking, what their approach is, what they're looking for, even though the uh, grant itself may not speak to that specificity of what they're actually looking for. 
So that's what I do. And I get amazing sums of money for people who feel they have no hope. And I tell them, as you are getting these grants, um, definitely reply. Always send a final report, send an interim report, and let them know what you've done. It's grant money, it's free money that you never have to pay back. So therefore, it's much better than dealing with venture capitalists who are going to eat up your equity if you go below 51%. You go from being the employer to the employee and may potentially get thrown out of your own company that you started. So I try to make sure that they're not getting it over their heads, taking large sums of money and losing their equity. With loans, we're worried about, okay, I've got to pay this money back. Don't have to worry about any of that with a grant. Now, Ms. V, I have a question. Uh, you uh, mentioned that you um, you help men as well, single fathers. And I wanted to know, the work that you do, is it concentrated in the United States or uh, do you work with uh, businesses overseas? How is your structure in that, in that regard? Today, it is concentrated in the United States. Um, I feel that I have more control being inside the country. However, I worked for nearly 20 years with one of the world's largest innovation think tanks, uh, Invent Resources. And they had many opportunities where we did on this side of the country. I did uh, propose uh, things for other countries such as Canada, the other piece of North America. We made deals in Canada. We made deals in Argentina. We made deals in, um, Alaska. Uh, it was all over the globe, but my clients are focused in the United States. Then we look for opportunities. Right now, I'm working on crafting a deal uh, through one of the government agencies in the U.S. called OPIC. O-P-I-C. We don't hear much about them, but they have a large amount of money and their mission is Africa, uh, much like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And they are focused on raising the educational and self-esteem levels of women and girls in Africa. Only about 30% of this group uh, even gets out of high school. And it makes them very vulnerable to all sorts of evil, from prostitution to physical abuse. And so we feel that if we can bring drones and STEM learning to that region of the world, that this is going to help them. And much of the work we intend to do is going to be in the United Kingdom and the United States to employ them once they have been trained. The other side of that is that uh, we have received uh, information uh, through Bell Trust, which is an organization I work with, that um, the European Investment Bank wants to invest in us. So how we differentiate ourselves is we don't plan to just go in, educate them, and leave immediately. We're planning on being there for at least 10 to 15 years to help them grow, help them understand how to involve themselves with corporations, um, as well as to 
help build the self-esteem of the little ones that are coming on that are age five and up. So in that way, I do work globally. Uh, and many of the corporations that I go to are global partners, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, Hallmark certainly, um, who owns the company most people haven't heard of, Benny and Smith, but almost every parent knows this company because the name of that company is Crayola Crayon. Okay, thank you. Um, there's a misconception in the market um, that um, professionals like you only work with women and you only work with minorities. You've cleared up that you do work with men. My question is, is your focus solely on the minority population or do you include others as well? Before you answer that question, let's take a break so we can hear a sponsor for this episode. This episode of Make Your Pitch is brought to you by BET. As a business owner, have you ever asked, uh, how is my business ensuring profitability and sustainability? Uh, or does my business drive its growth and agenda through a defined strategy? Maybe also, is there a performance management system in place? If you hesitated to answer any of these questions, you need to take a look at the Business Enabling Toolbox, BET. To find out more about BET, check the show notes of this episode. No, because many states, this is where you're certified. You're certified by your state, and then you can take that certification and use it for reciprocity to other areas. So what is done is that, um, you know, I work with all different, I work with small businesses that are uh, majority held by Caucasians. I work with disabled veterans of all across all races, Native American, um, all smaller groups like Pacific Islanders, women certainly. I certainly work with, you know, Latinos, Hispanics, as well as African Americans. I work across all sectors. When you come to me, I seek out and look for opportunities for you. For example, some state certifications say that they are looking for small business. When it says that, and it doesn't just specifically say that it's looking for African-Americans or Hispanic, Latinos, Native Americans, or whatever. Um, I work with them too. There's an opportunity in the marketplace for all business. And I would say that the 8A set-aside program actually speaks to that from the um, Small Business Administration. Their characteristic is that it is a small business. In some instances, they use the word disadvantage, that you have made revenue. Uh, they say specifically two years, but there is an exception that if you have made a lot of revenue in one year and you can prove through your resume that you have business experience, uh, they will waive that two years and you can certainly um, have the opportunity to go after the 8A set-aside market, which is a protected market that allows you, if you come up against a major corporation and it's 8A set-aside, you will win that contract as opposed to the larger business because they have more tools to use and you don't. 
Oh, then let me uh, let me jump in for a moment, and that's that, I, let's use an example, a uh, hypothetical example, for example, uh, and that is I'm a uh, I've been in for a year. I've seen a little profit. Uh, I may have a prototype, uh, of course, that I've uh, sent out there for focus groups and other folks like that. When I come to you. What do you expect of me in order to succeed in your grant process? Okay. Um, the first thing I do is make you available for federal money. And in order to do that in today's climate, you have to have a done number. That's Dunn and Bradstreet. Okay. I take you in the SAM. Okay, um, systemacquisitionmanagement.gov. We get you a login account, first of all. And after you get the login account, then you can sign into SAM. You sign in as a new entity. But I did, I've, got, I've got to interrupt you just for a moment. Okay. I may, I may be uh, the type of person who has bad credit. I'm not going to get a DNB with bad credit. So yes, you will. How, does, how does that affect me? Actually, the Dun and Bradstreet number has nothing to do with your credit. So many people don't apply for opportunities because, like, I've had a bankruptcy, I had a divorce, I have bad credit. DNB is not about your credit. DNB is about the business's credit, and that's the differentiator. You could be in bankruptcy or whatever. Their questions are about that name business. So one of the things is, and I tell people, you want to have, uh, you want to make sure that you are protected. If you're an entrepreneur or a solopreneur and you're doing a business on your social security number, not good because everything you have is on the table. Now, LLC, the first word is limited and the other two liability corporations, but it is a corporate entity. And that means you get an EIN, which comes from the Internal Revenue Service. So first of all, your social security number only comes into play if you are an entrepreneur or solopreneur, solopreneur. And so if you're using the EIN, that company does not have delinquent taxes that company has that employer id everything is focused on the company and not so much focused on you now that uh, that explains it now thank you for that now after you uh, in, uh move them forward through the uh, uh, DN, uh dnb move on from there because i interrupted your your secrets okay. of what they needed to do. Sorry about that. Well, there are two processes that go on with Dun & Bradstreet. One is where you're applying uh, to get a credit signal report, et cetera, for your um, Dun & Bradstreet for your business, okay? That takes 30 days. But if your purpose is to do business with the government, when you file, you get that login, information you file you're registering a new um account or you can do a google search and you're looking you want to do the free 
Dunn and Bradstreet uh, through Sam to get an account because you get it in 24 hours. And it's free. Why? Because it's the government's way of getting you into the process. So once you do that, then you can start your SAM uh, registration. And you put in your information. In most instances, there are some nonprofits that come through, but most are for-profits. And you tell them, I want to apply as a company or an organization. Organization takes into consideration um, your 501c3s, your nonprofit. The next question they're going to ask is, what do you want? I have all my people say, I want everything. I want to be able to get loans from the government. I want to be able to get grants from the government. I want to get contracts from the government. I want to get everything. Okay. Once you fill that out, then you come in and you're asked, you want a government or an individual account? And of course, you want to get an individual account. And the process starts. You're asked questions about whether you or anybody uh, within your organization has been convicted, et cetera, but that's for five to seven years. You're asked if you're doing business with a foreign entity. Uh, if the foreign entity know, owns the company and they're just having you apply in the U.S., all of those questions. Uh, the biggest hurdle to getting your um, your your cage code, that's what you're seeking from Sam, is the NACS, N-A-I-C-S, North American Industry Codes, and the SIC codes, the Standard Industry Codes. And you want to go to the NACS lookup tool. Take your time and go through each of those. The more codes you have, the better. But the one that's closest to what you really want to do, that's the one that will be your chief code in the SAM record. But you want to get as many as close to, as possible. And that's for subcontracting opportunities and being notified by the government of opportunities that are out there. The purpose of getting the CAGE code, that comes from Defense Logistics Agency, which is the Defense Department, is that they check out everything and make sure there are no issues. And then they grant you a five alphanumeric code and that code stays good for five years now you do have to do the sam uh sign up every year but this opens amazing opportunities because if you're an innovator you got an innovative technology you got an innovative idea uh you're coming up with some new drug whatever it may be there's an organization called the National Science Foundation. You can only engage with federal government opportunities if you have one of these codes. And that code can take you into seed funding. The National Science Foundation offers up to $1.7 million in seed funding. The first piece is called a SBIR small business innovation research grant. And National Science Foundation is offering that at $256,000. You only have to write three pages about what you're gonna do. 
and they will let you know in three weeks if they want you to move on to a larger opportunity, meaning putting in a full proposal. This is almost unheard of because think about it. You don't have to already have a patent. You don't have to already have um, a, an address, an office, a virtual office. You don't have to have had all these things. The government, the federal government is looking to you in order to bring something new and dynamic, not only to the United States, but also to the world. And they will give that money to help support this idea and push it forward into uh, the larger society and the larger economy. One might say, why are they doing all of this? You know, they could go down to a university, but there are ideas that are out here. If we go back to the days of um, Steve Jobs, and we go back to um, the days of Bill Gates, you know, I remember being uh, um, in school and having the electric typewriter and the wings and all of that. But look at how far we've come with the internet. These are ideas that need to be shared and they're not all in a laboratory or university somewhere. So they are looking to find these ideas to build the American economy, but also to engage globally worldwide. And so with the SBIR, and then there's a counterpiece if you want to work with the university and STTR, but imagine what $256,000 can do for you and get you a provisional patent, a full patent, you can get an office, you can get a prototype. There's so many things you can do with that initial seed money, and they call it the seed fund, NSF seed fund. Okay. And um, the thing is that the government, what they're seeking is commercialization. They want to know that you go out and take your licks in the world and build a company. Look at the size of Microsoft now. Look at the size of Apple. Okay, look at how large they loom, as opposed to years ago when you had typewriters, you, uh, you had the Wang system, you had those things, and they were great for that time. Royal typewriters, Olivetti, all of them, Smith Corona, they were all good for their time. But look at how far we've come now with laptops. And I had a client that is very, very uh, well-known in bringing these laptops uh, to American citizens and abroad by a system called Machisma, all uppercase, M-A-C-Y-S-M-A, Dr. Richard Prevell. So they want to find other things. What else is out there? What can the human mind conjure up and how can we commercialize it? So they put these grants and they put this money out here so that it can be commercialized, meaning you won't forever need grants because you can go out now and work and engage with major corporations who can help you grow, who can help you um, in terms of offering you those letters of support and involving themselves and actually using your services as well. So this is how I operate. Now, Ms. V, you have given all of us some really uh, interesting information. A lot of it 
many people do not know. But for that person who's just being introduced to you today, just hearing you, um, they, they're thinking about starting a business or uh, you said make sure your paperwork is in order. But as the innovator, as the business owner, what do you need to have to present yourself to someone like you uh, to begin the process of being grant eligible? Okay. The first thing is you can do it on your own as an entrepreneur. That's number one. Um, but there are organizations out here that can help you for a small amount of money and a plan. They can assist you in um, getting your LLC, your S Corp, your C Corp, those sorts of opportunities and being able to fund it in three payments. They do exist out here. One of them that I work with a lot is LegalZoom. Um, you know, you can get it done. You don't have to pay the hourly wage that you would pay to an attorney, you know, billable hours. So that's cost effective. And they do have attorneys there that work with you. Um, the other piece you need to have, like I said earlier, either it's going to be your social security number or it's going to be your um, EIN, better known as taxpayer uh, number. Um, and the next thing is get a DUNS number. That can help you so much in business credit, if that's the road you want to take. Uh, but you're collecting information as to even if it's Staples Office Depot, I'm buying supplies from there, I'm paying it off, or you know, I have an account and I'm paying it on time. These things help establish your um, business portfolio. That's, those are the things that I would need, your EIN, uh, a physical name of a business, uh, what state you are um, registering your business in. A lot of people like Delaware because there's no personal tax in Delaware, um, but there are other, uh, other states, for example, Maryland, D.C., Virginia, uh, I need to know what state you're actually certified in to do business. Um, those are three things. The other thing that a lot of people that have businesses, I've come to find out this year has been unusual, is that you need to check with your secretary of state to find out if your company is in good standing. That's especially important in Maryland. Um, a lot of people... You know, they figure I started this business. I may not be making that much money, so there's nothing for me to file. But you do have to file documents with the uh, state government. And a lot of times we'll get started on the process, fill everything out to get the cage code. And all of a sudden, a few days later, the defense logistics agency comes back and says, you can't do it until you get your business in good standing. Your business is not in good standing. And it's like, oh, my God. Then you go to the Secretary of State and find out there was a document you didn't file last year. Or it, for me, it's gone as far as 15 years with some client. Uh, and they were like, well, I just didn't do anything for that time. And all of a sudden, their, their uh, business has been forfeited. And they have to go back and correct that. And there are stiff fines for that. So if your business is in good standing, you got a DUNS number, you have the name of your organization and the state that you filed or 
had an attorney file. Uh, we can move forward quickly. Uh, some people tell me it takes them a month to get a case code. Most of my folks get a case code within a week and a half. That's the first step. Okay, they get a case code, uh, code in a week and a half. What is the average time of uh, having those details ready, then coming to you and achieving the grant? What uh, what kind of what can they expect there, uh, Avita? Well, I tell you, from the days when it used to take six months to a year, I will give the gov federal government kudos. They actually have streamlined the process. And I know this probably sounds crazy to most Americans, but they have. Um, the timeline depends upon how quick they need something. So it could be 30 days, 60 days, sometimes 90 days out. They might put it out in December and say, you know, the final date to have the actual grant proposal in is in March. That's kind of sort of becoming rare now because they want a shorter time span. So you put it in and usually there's about 30 days because there's a committee that's going to look at the grants. They're going to go over it. They're going to meet. They're going to talk about it. So I can tell you from practical numbers from uh, grants that I've had uh, that have been put in. Uh, I had a client who put in a grant in November, they were told in December that they were the ones that were going to be chosen. Uh, we had an onboarding meeting in January, and they had money in the bank uh, towards the end of February, beginning of March. Okay, so the cycle depends upon how quickly. Now, I've seen with COVID-19 opportunities, PPE, that they have been moved through well faster, way faster than some other things because everything is needed right now. Okay, Homeland Security moved their stuff in like not, uh, 60 to 90 days. Okay, and you had those payments because they knew those vendors had to have those payments. Uh, I would suggest to people that if you get a large grant, you take so much in the front part of the grant, you take money in the middle of the grant, and then after you accomplish everything, you get the rest of the money. And um, with ones that we had at that time, they were being taken care of by um, the Department of Interior. But they are moving, I must admit, having been in this a while, they're moving much faster. I've had some clients who were like, we need to be able to be ready by uh, June. And maybe they won that grant in March. And they will take that, go to the bank. The bank knows it's good. They see the purchase order or whatever format they're using. And they will loan them money based on that so they can get started. And then they get the money back. That's one of the lockbox situations. The check would come to them or, um, you know, uh, and they would take out their tent, their amount that they've given you and then send you the remainder. Um, that's a process also that can be used in small business and it's called factoring. Okay, your collateral is that contract 
and the fact that you completed the work and are waiting to be paid. So the speed of it is dependent upon what the agency is looking for, what they're asking you for. I've seen some that have been two weeks. I've seen some that have been two months. So as you're looking for grants, you need to also be observant of when the process opens, when the closing date is, meaning you have to have that in by 1159 uh, that day, or uh, sometimes it's around four or five o'clock. Uh, you have to look at it and see, does this grant work for me? Um, and then there's also grant money from foundations, such as all 2,600 of the world's major foundations, meaning financial institutions, corporations, one of my favorite being uh, Coca-Cola. They're offering money for women's empowerment, Black Lives Matter, environmental issues. Uh, Coke, you know, takes a hit because of its sugary products, but it actually does give back quite a bit of money uh, to the larger world. So you have grants there from fifty thousand to six or seven million, um, and so those opportunities are available all year long so the opportunities are endless if you know where to look and what you're trying to achieve uh it could be uh this product fits this category that product fits another category and those categories all have grant positions in them uh if you know where to look which Ovita obviously does yeah, this is this is fascinating, and you have been absolutely wonderful. Uh, I I don't things you tell me, and we had we had a conversation last week, and the things you told me were absolutely mind blowing. And I'm serious, and I I've I've uh, started a lot of companies, but I I wish I'd known what you're telling me now, because it would have been easier as opposed to uh, starting on $100 uh, in the process. But I guess I learned a lot starting with $100, right? Uh, I'm sure. But that being said, I know that you have a purpose uh, for everyone who will be on, uh, make your pitch in the future, because we have uh, some great people coming along that certainly will match your services and your talents. Uh, I know Ellen agrees with that. They do. They do indeed. Now, to close things out, I want to say thank you. Is there anything you would like to say, Avita, just to close things out? Any any uh, oh, tips or advice to folks? Sure. One of my tips is never give up on your dreams because your dreams are what keep you alive. And in working with people who feel as though all I can ever do is this nine to five. I have dreams, but you know, the office has people that have multiple degrees. They wouldn't be interested in having a conversation with me. There are opportunities out there, opportunities for you to be guided and mentored by major corporations who've yeah. already laid the groundwork and know exactly what you need. And they're there for you offering opportunities to help you with your human resources, uh, hiring a CPA or a CFO, um, and also sharing people that they use for their suppliers and they engage in 
All those opportunities are there. Never give up on yourself. Never give up on your dreams. And there are people like me, maybe not as extensive, because I go from federal to all the way to, um, you know, corporations, Fortune 100, Fortune 500, Global 2000. But never give up. This is out there. And I'm always constantly upset about the fact that so many people don't know these things exist, but they do. And they exist for all Americans, not just minorities. Uh, people talk about quotas. They exist for everyone if you continue to dig deep. So your, your advice is very well founded. Never, ever give up in the process. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your time and your knowledge with the folks uh, that are watching and ourselves, both uh, Ellen and I both as well are watching uh, Make Your Pitch. Uh, we hope that you will be back again because we have just touched the surface on the knowledge that you have. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Looking forward Thank to having you, you back again. Uh, you know, uh, Ellen, as you as you can tell, this is a this is a woman who has been through so much experience and so much uh, knowledge about the basics, and then she pursued it once she found out that there was other things there that she didn't realize existed. She pursued it and put it into her others. Yes, indeed. And uh, she gives she gives us some very good lessons about not giving up. Be consistent and persistent in whatever it is you're going after. So uh, she is an excellent uh, expert for us to have on Make Your Pitch. And I hope those who listen to this podcast will reach out to us so that we can put them in touch with Miss V. I call her Miss V because she is just... Uh, one amazing woman in my mind. I, I couldn't agree more. Now, as we as we uh, end this particular episode of Make Your Pitch, uh, may I say that we are very, very happy to have you following this podcast. And obviously, you know, subscribe and hit the subscribe button and let people know that we are here to teach those that are into starting their business and rolling forward their business there are a lot of different ways, but we also want to have uh, and teach, uh, excuse me, instruct and inform other people how to pitch to, how to put their, their business in uh, an outline, a form that they can actually tell others about. And that's what we're all about. So uh, before we go, I'd simply like to say, make your pitch. That's it. Make your pitch. We'll talk to you on the next episode. If you enjoyed today's episode of Make Your Pitch, go smash the subscription button. And if you want, leave us a five-star review. If you think you have what it takes to be on one of our episodes, contact us by going to the show notes to learn.